0: What's up Ken folk welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app YouTube or listening wherever you get your podcast today we got to talk about which Big 10 West School should most fear the entry of UCLA and USC to the Big 10 Conference in 2024 while we muse about the Big 10 finally doing what we all wanted to do which is remove the division to have the top two teams play each other in the Big Ten Championship game. And we're going to talk with former Texas A&M All-American tight end and Birmingham Stallion tight end, Jay Sternberger. But first, it's list season here on the number one college football show. It's my third list in two shows. We're going to talk about the top 10 NFL draft prospects for me, but you're going to see five here on the screen, starting with number one, USC quarterback Caleb Williams, who, I think the comp for this is Andrew Luck and as far as his ability to immediately turn around a franchise and make them into a winner. That's what Andrew Luck did for Indianapolis, and there was good reason for that. He was the best prospect coming out that year at quarterback, and you could see with his demeanor how it was infectious to the, uh, to the franchise. I almost said program because I'm thinking about college football. What does Caleb Williams do well? Well, almost everything. I mean, the dude is a walking scramble drill, a walking problem solver, elite problem solver. There is no play that is dead with number 13 at quarterback. We know this. My question for Williams, though, going into this year where he is the can't-miss prospect going into the 2023 uh, season is, can you show us a little bit of statesmanship? And I want to really be careful about this and be clear about this. The guy that Caleb Williams most reminds me of in demeanor is Baker Mayfield, which is great in college. I love Baker. There's many... Many of you know, I started the YouTube channel. My journey as a broadcaster, my journey as a show host to, to doing the 9 to 11 by myself at the Tulsa Animal, to getting this show at Fox Sports begins with Baker Mayfield and planting a flag at Ohio State in what was a tremendously cathartic win for me because I watched very closely as Ohio State took apart my favorite team in Norman, right? And the thing about Baker was chippy equally balanced with one on both shoulders that worked for him all the way through college goes from walk-on to starter to Heisman winner to playing in the college football playoff to the number one overall pick in the draft. What I have learned about Baker's pro career is once you get to that mark of being, I'm the best there ever was, there needs to be a natural move to, you know, who I am, which means that you're going to say a whole hell of a lot less and you got a lot of, a lot of other people say it for you, because the thing that really I think might hold Caleb back as a pro is that people are going to want to get after him in a way that, frankly, I want it to be more like Pat Mahomes, where people just want to get behind him. So putting F Utah on your fingernails probably needs to be a thing of the past. Right. I want to see more of the guy that's going to be the CEO of an NFL franchise. And what we know about CEOs is not a whole hell of a lot, right? What we know about them is, do we like looking at them? Do we like what they say? Do we like how they make us feel about the company they represent, right? I think that that is important when you're evaluating any quarterback in the first round, because that is going to be the face of your franchise for years to come. And that's all Caleb has left to do. We're not talking about him as a football player anymore. I've heard too many people that I respect say, that's the best quarterback I've ever seen in college. I want to see the best quarterback And the best person that Caleb Williams could possibly be in 2023. And I would not be surprised to find out that man wins a Pac-12 championship, plays in a college football playoff, and maybe becomes the first repeat Heisman winner since Archie Griffin. Number two, we got Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. I think the comp here is pretty outstanding and right on the money in CeeDee Lamb at Dallas, who I believe set the franchise record Dallas last year for catches in a season with 107. I wish they'd have thrown the ball 107 times at Oklahoma, but I digress. There is no other wide receiver in the sport like him today. Not with his size, not with his route running, not with his feet off the line, not with his physicality. If you are the quarterback at Ohio State, looking at you, Kyle McCord, Devin Brown, every time you drop back, you should find 18. If there are two people on 18, he's open. If there are three people on 18, somebody else is running wide open with nobody on him, but that's because you got three people on him because two ain't enough. That's who Marvin Harrison Jr. is. Very excited to see what his 2023 looks like. Number three on the list, Georgia tight end, Brock Bowers, who I think the cop here is San Francisco 49ers tight end, George Kittle. The reigning Mackey award winner? Sure. A first-team All-American? I guess. But here's the thing. Every college football team that Brock Bowers has played on has won the national championship. And he's been the best offensive player on it as a freshman, as a sophomore, and now going into a junior year. It's ridiculous, man. Like, I'm trying to think about this in a way that makes more sense. Brock Bowers is so good that Darnell Washington had to wait for Brock Bowers to run his routes because he's too on the depth chart. Brock Bowers is so good that the best tight end prospect that we had seen in recent memory and Eric Gilbert didn't even see the field and is transferred to Nebraska. Brock Bowers is so good that even Kirby Smart says, if we got to throw the ball, throw it to him. And not only that, Kirby Smart says, if we got to run the ball, can we run it in to run to Brock? I have not seen a tight end like this in my lifetime. And the only time that I could think of a better tight end prospect, Oklahoma fans will absolutely enjoy this one, is Keith Jackson. What Keith Jackson was able to do with Barry Switzer in the wishbone should be illegal because no tight end was supposed to be able to do that. At one point, Keith Jackson should have been back there catching punts. Okay? That's who Brock Powers is. If you saw him back there catching punts, you'd be fired up about him too. All right? I expect him to be a first-round pick, and you can understand why. Number four on the list for me is Penn State offensive tackle Olu Fashino, who would have been a first-round selection had he come out, according to the draft analysts. Sure. Number five on the list, North Carolina quarterback Drake May. Who I think the comp is RG plus three. That is RG three plus three inches because RG three is six foot two and Drake May is six foot five. Now, I'm going to throw this out here. Producer Tyler and I used to try to, sh- well, not used to, we still try to sharpen every take that I give, right? Sharpen the segments, ask good questions, interrogate what it is that I think, what it is that he thinks, and give you the best possible take here on the number one college football show. I ain't see it with Drake may I and I was loud about it with him I was like I don't I don't I don't see it dog and he's like RJ can you keep watching I'm gonna watch this North Carolina State game I don't I don't I don't see it but then I take a look back I take in what producer Tyler's throwing down and I go do what I do which is go look at stats go look at comparables and what I find is oh yeah I have wildly underrated this child uh, excuse me this man who was at one point committed to Alabama and took his commitment to North Carolina and then forgot about it But at North Carolina last year, he completed 66% of his passes for 4,321 yards with 38 pass TDs, rushed for 698 yards with seven rush TDs, which means, and this is the part that really sold this for me Drake May is just the sixth quarterback since 2010 to pass for 4,000 yards, throw 35 touchdowns, rush for 650 yards, and rush for seven touchdowns in a single season alongside Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Marcus Mariota, Johnny Manziel, and RG3. Put another way, that is four Heisman winners and Deshaun Watson, all right? That was enough for me, okay? It might not matter that I can't see it. It might matter that it's just right there in his comparables. And the reason I keep saying RG3 is because that's what it is. If you go look at the stats that RG3 put up in that 2011 campaign, they're basically similar. Like RG3 ran for, I think, three more TDs and threw two more interceptions. But the but the pass yards, basically the same. All right? That's who Drake May was at North Carolina last year. Now, with Phil Longo being the new head coach, or excuse me, head coach, the new offense coordinator, my bad, Luke Fickle. At Wisconsin, I'll be interested to see what Drake May does in 2023. I get people are trying to compare him to Justin Herbert. Maybe that's because of recency. But again, if you're watching how he moves, if you're watching how he throws the ball, okay, I underrated RG3 at Baylor too because it's Baylor. Frankly, I, it's Baylor. I didn't expect Baylor to be good. Baylor changed that. Same thing with North Carolina could be true. Number six on the list, we got Notre Dame offensive tackle Joe Alt. Uh Number seven on the list, we got defensive tackle Mason Smith, who's coming off of a knee injury. And a dude that. I really argue with myself about putting on because I don't really like putting first round prospects on a board that didn't play last year, but I'm basically overruled by the consensus. And that's another thing that I've learned about making these lists is y'all catch feelings. If my list looks that much dissimilar from everybody else's list. So here's Mason Smith, who I think could be the best defensive tackle in the sec, which saying a lot, because that dude's been at Georgia the last couple of years. But he could be the reason that LSU is not just playing to win another SEC West Division championship, but maybe wins an SEC championship. Number eight on the list is Kool-Aid McKinstry. Again, I argue with this. You know, the passes defended, that's great. 16 passes defended to be tied for the lead the SEC last year also means that people thought they should be throwing on you. And that tells me a lot, too. Patrick Sertain, the second, didn't nobody want to throw on him that draft eligible year. You went to the other side. So if you look at Kool-Aid McHintry and you're going, I see food, I see the meal, I see how we're going to eat today. I don't feel great about that if I'm looking to draft a cornerback in the first round. Now that said, anybody that Nick Saban plays at cornerback needs to get you know everybody's pass because A, it's Alabama. B, it's Nick Saban. And C, Nick Saban is a cornerback's coach. He is a DB. As a matter of fact, I would not be surprised to find out that he's coaching the DBs in 2023 because of Well, frankly, they weren't that great last year under Pete Golding. So I'm inclined to see the improvement, but you can argue, all I can argue with you all you want about whether or not he has the talent because he does have the talent. I just want to see him put it together. It's the difference between being a first-round pick and a second-round pick to me. At number nine, Alabama outside linebacker Dallas Turner, who I talked about a little bit earlier this week in my post-spring top 25 Had 37 tackles, 8 for loss, 4 sacks last year. I expect you to talk about Dallas Turner the way you were talking about Will Anderson last year as well. And then at number 10, Tennessee quarterback Joe Milton. Now, I realize that you're probably only uh, only going to see Joe Milton here, but allow me to explain myself. The first thing to say about Joe Milton is the way that you talk about Anthony Richardson also tells me that you like big, fast, strong-armed quarterbacks from the SEC East. And that's who Joe Milton is at six foot five, two fifty. He his comp, as I've been, I mean, giving comps all along here. His comp is Samus Aaron. His comp is Mega Man. Stops Josh Allen. Samus Aaron, Mega Man, Josh Allen all got arm cannons. That's the comp here. Like the stories about Joe Milton and how far and how hard. He could throw a football are outstanding, but my favorite one comes from Ramel Keaton, who had told Tennessee Volunteer beat writers that he's got a story about Joe Milton throwing the ball hard. It's that they were in practice, and Joe threw him a ball, and Keaton caught it. He split his hand open catching the football. He split it down the center of the palm. where the meat go? Because that's how hard and how quickly that ball was spinning coming out of Joe Milton's hand. He could throw a football 70 yards from his knees. I'm a catcher. Pop time's very important to me. Being able to not pump the ball and get it down to second base is very important to me. I only saw one man throw somebody out from their knees and the man that had a cannon like Joe Milton. You just you just don't see it. It's also a dude that grew up in Pahokee, Florida, chasing rabbits, all right? Again, it's a dude that was so big that when he got on the campus in the summer, the defensive line at Tennessee was mad as hell. Like the whole room was mad as hell because they thought the position coach brought in another defensive end. That's who Joe Milton is. As much as you love Hendon Hooker, and I know how much you love Hendon Hooker, you know? I mean, Joe Clatt loved Hendon Hooker. You ought to love you some Joe Milton. I realize you didn't like the way it went in Michigan, but you didn't like the way it went for Hendon Hooker at Virginia Tech. I'm saying here, I'm trying to give you an easy win here. This is an easy win. Joe Milton showed you what he could do against Vanderbilt. And you said, RG is Vanderbilt. All right. He beat Clemson and won Orange Bowl MVP. Do I need to say more here? I don't think I do. That's Brew McCoy he throwing to. That's Squirrel White he throwing to. Man, they got some SEC names over there. That's Jabari Smalls that he got in the backfield. I'm very excited about the walking scramble drill. With the Samith Aaron Mega Man arm cannon attached to his right arm, that is Joe Milton. Nobody's more fired up about Tennessee's quarterback than me. All right. Let's go from my top 10 2024 NFL draft prospects to a question about the Big Ten, which is considering removing divisions going into the 2024 season. You'll know 2024 will be the season in which the Big Ten adds USC and UCLA to form a 16-team conference. In so doing, the question was posed by my awesome editor at Fox Sports, Bob Harkins. Does the Big Ten West, or in particular, a Big Ten West school, need to be concerned about taking a step back in their division, or, you know, at all, if they're removed, with UCLA and USC joining the conference? And I gave that some thought, right? Because I'm thinking about the Big Ten West and how, you know, it has been traditionally weaker than the Big Ten East, especially since they went from leaders and legends, which I'm so glad they did away with because I, everybody didn't like those, those titles, but now we got this real East and West thing, and I like that. It's cool. But you look at the West and you see Wisconsin. Okay. Northwest has played in the Big Ten, West, uh, Big Ten title game twice in the last four years. Purdue has played in the Big Ten title game representing the West. Nebraska has not played in the Big Ten title game since it first entered the league, okay? Back when it was leaders and legends, and they got stomped on by Wisconsin, 70-31 in that title game. And frankly, that was the last year that they won 10 games at Nebraska too. So if you are Matt Rule and Nebraska, you got to get on the good foot and you got to get on the good foot right away because it could be what it is right now in perpetuity if you don't get it fixed quick, fast, and in a hurry. At a time when Purdue and Northwestern got to play in a Big Ten title game precisely because the Big Ten West was not as strong as the Big Ten East because Wisconsin's taking a step back. Iowa's offense has held it back. Minnesota ought to be good, but I think Minnesota's been, you know, historically about where they should be, but they could be better. Illinois showed up last year to show everybody, give Michigan a what for, that they're about it. I'm saying if you're Nebraska, you're you're you a Nebraska fan. You're a Husker. You're proud. You were the most feared football team north of Oklahoma for the better part of 40 years, and even then, you could give Oklahoma to what for in the 80s and 90s, right? I remember a time when nobody wanted anything to do with Nebraska football. Hell, Peyton Manning didn't want nothing to do with Nebraska football. Ahmad Green gave them everything they wanted. That is who Nebraska wants to get back to being, and I understand it, especially with USC coming in, UCLA coming in, more USC than UCLA here of late because They got the Heisman winner and they got Lincoln Riley, and all things Lincoln Riley have been really great. Like, as much as people want to talk about me being down on USC, I was also the first person to point out to y'all that they were going to win 10 games in 2022. And everybody wanted to act like I was crazy. And then when they won 11, didn't nobody want to tell me that I was right. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. You knew one person that was up on them. That's me. Well, you know, let's talk about Michigan, though. Let's talk about Michigan some of y'all will get that joke from the top 25 last year. Others of y'all, it's just going to go over your head. But the thing about Nebraska that I think is really interesting is that that fan base is all for you. Like, I I am floored by the support that Husker fans have for Nebraska football. I was fortunate to go to Lincoln last year uh, for an event, and it is Nebraska football full-time. They care about nothing else. So if the Huskers ever get back to good – They probably will stay good because they will get the kind of backing that other programs can only dream about. So Matt Rule, job, year one, get them to bowl eligibility and then we'll see. All right, now let's do our USFL Player of the Week interview with Texas A&M tight end and former All-American and USFL Birmingham Birmingham Stallions tight end, Jace Sternberger. Jace, I'm very excited to have you join us here on the number one college football show. Jace Sternberger, former Texas A&M tight end and All-American. And now, Birmingham Stallions tight end, man. How you doing?
1: Doing great. You know, I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me. All
0: right on, bro. Let's get started with what I thought was a breakout performance for you to start in week one, where you're catching passes from your dude, Alex Magoo, and everybody's trying to figure out where does this chemistry come from? And Coach Holt says to me, oh, yeah, they room together. How much is that? Figuring into you having some early success this year.
1: Uh, I think it plays a huge factor into it. Uh, anytime, like I said, I had the same, uh, I got the same luck when I was at AM. you know, me and Kellen Mond were roommates. So it's just something about being around your quarterback every day. And just that, you know, you just kind of start to you pick up on each other's personalities and certain things, this and that. And it always just, it translates over to the football field. So, you know, when I'm asking questions, Alex is kind of knowing like how my brain works, what I'm processing, what I'm thinking. And so it's like, you know, it's easier for him to answer questions for me. And it's now and now that I'm hearing Alex's answers, it's easier for me to kind of run my routes based off knowing what Alex is looking for and like, you know, what he likes, what he doesn't like. And so I think, like I said, when you're sleeping in the same room as another person, like you're going to get, you know, it helps. Obviously, like I said, you spend a lot of time together. So um, it, it, I'd say it played a huge uh, factor into it.
0: It seems so, dude. And I was kind of jarred when Coach Holt said, look, I told Jace when he got here, you gotta pick it up. You gotta pick it up pretty quick because we're not doing addition subtraction this year. We're on the multiplication division. I'm going, Hey man, Jace is a player. I don't know if you're gonna try to run him off or not, but that's not what I would do. Yeah. Feels like you were picking it up pretty good though.
1: Yeah, and um, like I said, you know, I I, I give credit to, you know, some of the former teams I've been on and just the systems and all the attention to detail that it's it it teach it taught me good study habits almost study habits i wish i used in school but now that we're here so when coach holtz from day one was like you know we're not going to do the day one install you know like this is an older team everybody's already been here and it was basically like i think you're capable enough that if you study and you know take care of your business you'll be able to pick it up just fine and you know and so i kind of looked at it as a challenge like well I'm not about to be the guy that's holding everybody back. Like, oh, we got to redo this for Jace. We got to go back over this for Jace. Like, you know, I did that enough my rookie year in Green Bay. So, like, I didn't – that's a horrible feeling. So, it's like, I didn't want to do that again. And So, like I said, again, being with Alex every night, asking him questions, this and that. And, you know, and like I said, once you're back on the field, everything just starts to make sense anyway. So, um, most definitely, like I said, it was it was an intense camp just learning the, learning the playbook just because it's such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah, you are dealing with a very condensed period to try to get everything installed. So that you're playing week one. I want to say your training camp lasted three weeks. If I got that right. If
1: that. If that. Three weeks and some three weeks and some off days, travel days for scrimmages. Like, so I mean it's like 15, 14 days really. If you're being for being honest.
0: At not nothing like spring practice in college football, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I'm enjoying hearing you talk about this as a job it's one of the things that I try to get across to high school kids that still talk to now is this is a day job that's how you have to treat it you have to actually go to work to get better but I want to go back through your journey a little piece by piece here so allow me you played juco ball at northeastern Oklahoma which to those of us that are from Oklahoma is NEO and we all have friends yep. that played ball at NEO A&M in Miami Oklahoma what was your experience like at NEO
1: man uh you know my dad actually played baseball there for a little bit so like I kind of already everybody like you said you if you're from Oklahoma you've always heard stories about NEO but uh like I said I got spoiled my situation when I got to NEO it was a team that had already been there for two years so it was a group of you know Darwin Thompson it was a uh, guys who had already been in there for, for a while and it wasn't like I, I was the oldest guy or the it was a fresh face and like you know, I was coming onto a team who's like, no, they've already paid their dues. Like it's 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 time to win. All of the coaches, you know, I don't think any of the coaches stayed on staff after that year. Everybody was like, it was it was honestly so refreshing, you know, especially coming from Kansas, like being on a team and being around coaches who were all working towards the same goal. And it was like, everybody was trying to get out of there. Like, we love NEO. We love the 313, Paradise Hall, our dorm rooms. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all great. Never take that for granted again. Like, loved it. But at the same time, we're like, we're not going to be – none of us are going to be here next year. Like, so we got to get with it. We're going to win games, and we're going to get out. But, man, the the stories of off the field and, like, just getting dinner at random restaurants and just eating the same stuff over and over and just – yeah, it's, it's just you just kind of got to know if if you know you know, that's the best way I can describe it. No, oh, that
0: that is a great way to put it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna flesh this out. Number one, Darwin Thompson uh, went to Jinx High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and played for the Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs. For those of you that don't know, second thing to really say out there is, uh, Jace is being kind when he talks about Antioch. <laughs> I went there for boys' state, which means I was there for about a week, right? And I'm staying in the same <laughs> dorms and. I remember going, oh, that's why this is a train station, right? People come through here <laughs> not to live, but to stop to get to the place that they're going. And when it's working well, it's working like Grand Central. And it certainly seemed to work that way for you. But let's talk about how you got to Nio. And I want to go back to high school and work back. So I get to know Jay Sternberger when I'm covering Oklahoma football and recruiting for a Rivals team side at the time. And they're like, I want you to go check out this kid at Kingfisher, Oklahoma. And I'm going, King, Kingfisher? It's like you'll know him when you see him. All right. So I get out there and I'm watching Yellow Jackets football and I said, Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, so the big white dude running around, that's the guy. Cool. I'll go talk to Jace 14 and 0 as a senior and I think 59 and 6 in four years at Kingfisher. What do you remember most about, well, in particular, that state championship team? Uh,
1: The state championship team I remember was just like, one, I don't even think – I think I had maybe less than, like, 15 kids. Like, I didn't even – tight end was, like, fun for me. But, like, I was – just being on that defensive team, like, that was such a fun defense to be a part of. And, like, that was my first year playing defensive end. Like, oh, I just remember Blanchard and just hearing about them all year. Because I was – like, my sophomore year, I was on that team. But, like, I didn't play. Like, I didn't – like, I was a tight end. But, like, our old OC, he wasn't on the team that won state. But our old OC was like, oh, uh, their defenses don't do – not do or. Their defense doesn't match up good for tight ends, so we're not going to use a tight end this week. So I was just like, okay, like <laughs> I guess we're the only offense who doesn't know how to use tight. You know what I'm saying? Like now we just like, okay, this is the kryptonite defense, I guess. So I I wasn't even like, oh yeah, I don't, I didn't have no emotional ties to that game. But it was like, you know, coming in as the new guy. Now I'm like, I'm starting to tight end and defensive end. I was like, all we were hearing about was Blanchard. I'm like, well, I, I don't care about any of those guys. Like I I wasn't even here when that happened. Kind of how about kind of how I feel about New Orleans. Like I wasn't here last year. So like all of the stuff that happened last year, like I don't care. Like don't tie me into that. Like, you know, and uh, but yeah, I would definitely say just playing defense in high school and just how much fun it was and playing defensive end and just like I said, and we had Caden Jackson, who was a monster for three a football on yeah. the D line, like having both of us. And then we had uh, Gatlin Squires, just a hard nosed kid like that, that. That defense was fun. Like that was really fun.
0: I had a lot of fun watching y'all play ball. You mentioned Blanchard. This is at a time when I believe I have a stringing credit in every county in Oklahoma, uh, working at the Oklahoman. It's a lot of fun, right? So Blanchard, Lindsey, Kingfisher were all on the beat at one point in time. But you follow that year and go to Kansas, right, where I believe you're the only player I've ever met who goes from a 14-0 program to an 0-12 program. What was it like yeah. your redshirt freshman year there?
1: Oh, uh, it was like... It was – don't. i I'm not even cla- – like, I'm not making fun of the team because I was a part of it, so I'm making fun of myself. But it was like, I don't think you could script, like, a worst ways to lose games. Like, I remember my first game, it was like 100 degrees, playing South Dakota State. Oh, we're, we're – I'm thinking – I'm not going to lie. This is how oblivious I was to, like, the talent of college football. Like, so we get to KU, and me and my buddies laugh about this all the time. When we get to KU – and you know, new coach, he brings in. We didn't have the transfer portal, but we saw we had so many grad transfers. Like we got dudes from the SEC, we got guys from this and that. I I genuinely like I'll, I I laugh about this all the time. I remember calling my dad. I'm like, Dad, I'm telling you, these guys don't know about like how good we're about to be. Like we have these transfers. I'm like, I'm telling you, we're about to wait. Like I was so ignorant and stupid. <laughs> we go that for. I'm thinking we're gonna blow out South Dakota State. Long story short, we're down like 20 in the first quarters. So I'm like, all right, this might be – you know what I'm saying? this. Obviously, we look good in training camp, but there's a reason for that. I remember that game, we lost that game on a – we were supposed to spike the ball and kick a game-winning field goal, and we muffed the spike, and the, and the clock ran out. And when I say, like, that was how every game went from Case – and we'd have the best – I, I swear, every week it would be like that. Like, you, you, you wouldn't want to get your hopes up because after you lose, it's like, all right. That's the mindset, like, it is what it is. But for some reason, I don't know, and I was registered, I wasn't even playing. By Saturday the next week, I was convinced that we were going to win. Like, I was so convinced we were going to win. First play of the game, blocked punt, touchdown, lose by 40. So, to answer your question, it was uh, it was interesting. Like, it was it was an experience for sure. Like, you couldn't, I, could, I can't make it up how it was going. Like, I can't make it up.
0: Well, it's a part of your journey that I really value because you go from there to NEO to work yourself back into a position to get offers from Boise State, Florida State, and Texas A&M. And if I got this right, you are the first commitment for Jimbo Fisher at A&M. What do you remember most about not just becoming an All-American tight end, but in particular, when did you figure out that the Aggie fan base might be as rabid, if not more rabid, than the Sooner fan base?
1: And another f- fun fact about me, that I think it kind of travels with me everywhere I go. I was David Beatty's first commitment, to at Kansas. That's
0: right, right, at Kansas, yeah.
1: Because I was originally going to go to NEO at a high school, and then literally Colby Ellis was like, no, you got to take this opportunity. Like, you need to go to – like, he convinced me to go to Kansas still, so I was like, okay, like, you're right, I will. But to answer your question uh, – yeah, I was Jimbo's first commitment. And what what did you what part did you ask me about Jimbo? When did
0: you know that the Aggie fan base was as rabbit or more than the Sooner fan base?
1: Oh, um, as soon as uh because that was the thing with Coach Fisher and them, they obviously they called me when they were at Florida State and like asked if I was interested, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, of course I'm interested in Florida State. Like, what are you talking about? And, like, I remember Coach Craig is like, why are you at Kansas? Why didn't you play? Like, did you rob a 7-Eleven? Like, what? Do you, is there something we don't know about you? 7 <laughs> And I was like, no. Like, I'm telling you, like, the in-state schools, just they weren't rocking with me. It, it is what it is. But I noticed how crazy A&M fan base, and crazy by meaning, like, like I said, I'm one of them. I love them, is that. I think my my JUCO highlight tape was at like maybe 2,500 views, and that was on a Tuesday. Then when I got the permit, not permission, but I basically told Coach Fisher and them I wasn't gonna post like I wasn't gonna post anything. Like I was gonna show my loyalty to them. Like I'm y'all's. I'm not gonna post this. Make a big deal. Once I posted that I was going on a visit and AM fans found out about me. I remember I was actually going to KU that night to see some old buddies and stuff because we had JUCO. You know Miami. That's not a far drive. My huddle views went from, like, 3,000 that night. By the end of the next day, it was at, like, 19,000 just because off of one, just, just off me tweeting. I was going there for a visit. By Sunday, I think it got all the way up to 30,000. Like, I'm not – it was the craziest experience, like, thing I've ever witnessed. I was just, like – I mean, this is cool for, like, the next week. But, I mean, obviously, no one's going to care about this later. But I was, like, right now, this is incredible. Like, I kept watching my highlight tape. <laughs> I was just, like, this is awesome. And so, I was already – and that's the – I joke about it, but I'm being dead serious. So, you know, like anytime a coach comes to a new program, like they're trying to install the standard, the foundation, what they want it to be. Well, David Beatty came from Texas A&M. Our star transfer wide receiver, Laquivante Gonzalez, he came from Texas A&M. So for two whole years at Kansas, all I heard about was how great A&M was, the the town, the team, how great the fans are, how amazing all this is. And so when Jimbo's like, or Coach Kirk was like, I don't know if you keep up with TV, but there's rumors, you know what I'm saying? Like we just need to hold tight and see what happens. I was like, oh, this is, I was like, this is a no brainer. I was like, I'm not even gonna, like, I'm not gonna think, think twice about this. And it was just so crazy because I was really about to commit to Boise State, but uh, Coach Patterson, who's now um at USF, he's like, Jace, you know, like, let your emotional high wear down. Like just give it a day or two, you know what I'm saying? Like just get home, relax. Literally that day I was letting my emotional high die down. That's when Coach Craig called me from Florida State. So I was just like, all right, this is is the sign, you know.
0: No, man, that's what's up. We're running up on time, but I do want to ask you one more question about your 2018 season for which you win All-American honors. Um, Really quickly, what stood out to you most about that year that vaulted you into the third round of the NFL draft and started your pro career?
1: Just that I, I knew I, I know I'm not crazy. Like everybody thought I was so crazy for leaving Ku and you're going to the JUCO. Like who do you think you are? What are you doing? And then it's like I I, I went to A and M because I looked at their first four games. They played Clemson and Alabama, and I was like, you're either good enough or you're not. Like as le- at least if you go there and like you'll know. Like I played in the best conference. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll see what. Ha- like if you're good enough, you're good enough. If not, you're not. And now, but it was like once I was doing that, I was like man, like, I know I'm not crazy for this. Like, that's why I still got that chip on my shoulder because it's like, I feel like what I'm going through right now is the same exact thing. It's just, I'm in in an older body, older situation because it's USFL and not JUCO. Like, that's literally my mindset right now for everything.
0: Hey, man, it served you well, and I hope it serves you well going into the future. Jay Sternberger, former Texas A&M All-American tight end and USFL Birmingham Stallions tight end. Thank you so much for taking time. Thanks for having me. My thanks once again to Jay Sternberger for joining the show. And that's going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. This Friday episode has been one of our better performing episodes of the week. So kudos to you guys who continue to watch this and, and download it over the weekend. So we'll keep doing it. But thanks always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, our senior producer, Katherine Donnelly, our director, Kyle Holly, our social media maven, Javion Duncan, our lead of screening, Jack Coakley, our production assistant, Kiara Santana. I am the host, RJ. We will talk to y'all on Wednesday. this